January 26, 1945, in France, an American soldier stood with his small company of soldiers and watched in shock as 250 German soldiers and six tanks broke through the clearing, headed toward them. He was a second lieutenant. He was 19 and wondering, what do I do in this moment? He had faced battles like this before, so there really wasn't much of a question. He knew what to do. He had 10 men older than him who were now looking to him for direction. And in this moment, he did what must be done. The odds became increasingly more difficult when all the tanks began to converge upon them and took out the one tank destroyer weapon that they had. This man's name was Audie Murphy. In that moment, he sent the men to the clearing or to the trees behind the clearing and he made his way to that one tank destroyer. He positioned himself in such a way that he began to make calls to call for air support, to call for help. And he grabbed a hold of the 50 caliber machine gun alone and began to fire. One by one, he took out the threat that was around him. His soldiers and brothers all stood in awe of what was happening in this moment. They have been quoted as saying, this was the greatest display of guts and courage they had ever seen. He said, if he hadn't done what he did, the Germans would have annihilated us. Audie Murphy, because of this and many other battles, became the most decorated American soldier in history. He did what must be done in the time of battle. He stood alone. He did not run. He did not seek comfort. He sought to win. He sought to protect his brothers, and he fought. And he became a valiant soldier in that moment. As followers of Jesus, we are called to stand. We've always been called to stand, to be ones who will believe truth against the odds, who will believe truth against what others might say, who will hold tenaciously and refuse to give in, to give up, to walk away, to seek what's comfortable, but instead to stand for truth. Galatians 5.1 says, stand therefore in the liberty with which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. History records Christians who have stood in moments like this, who have known it was essential and it was their time to stand in truth, and they chose courage over comfort. As we mentioned last week in the 1500s, Martin Luther was one such man. He was a member of the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, but as he studied the scriptures, he realized that what they taught and what he read in the Bible were two different things. He began to ask questions. He began to make statements. He began to go public. And the Roman Catholic Church began to come out against him. Martin Luther, because of his stance on five key issues, became an enemy of the Roman Catholic Church. For he believed in scripture alone. He believed in faith alone. He believed in grace alone. He believed in Jesus alone. And he believed in for the glory of God alone. And even though Martin Luther had committed his life to be a Catholic, to be a monk, to not marry, the truth burned within him and he walked away from all of that. 
and pursued Christ with all of his heart. He believed that salvation was not through keeping the sacraments. That salvation was not by church attendance. That salvation was not by gaining or selling indulgences. That salvation was not through any man or any woman, but by Jesus alone. And he said, we, I, stand here. In our day, it's time for the church to do the same. To return to what is the foundation of our faith. And though all others turn away, choose to believe and have the courage to say, we stand here. This is the reason for our series and this message today. We deal with two of what Luther called out as the five solas, the five onlys. Today we deal with grace by faith alone. Uh, many of you responded last week with our podcast request for questions. So I'll put the, the uh, QR code on screen again. I want you to see this. You can use your phone and it'll direct you right toward our site. If I can have someone come unplug these heaters right here. They are beeping. That's not someone's pacemaker in the room. It would be awesome. That would be great. Just unplug those from that right there. And I think they will. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. All right. Very nice. We can all rest. Now, so yeah, send in, so this will take you to a link and you can ask questions. I'm not going to answer them obviously right now during the service, but they will become a format for us to answer on our podcast this week. You can check us out on YouTube. A lot of you did last week, turned in some great questions. We answered those and a lot of you listened, so way to go. If I can get this screen back there, that would be awesome. And um, I want to deal with this whole idea today because it really asks the question, what does it take for someone to be right with God? That's an important question. It's something every one of us should carefully consider. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. If you've been around Christianity any amount of time, you've heard this verse. And I think everybody in the room would hear would say a hearty amen to this. Like, yes, of course, I believe that. Amen. He goes on, Paul says, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You didn't come to Christ because one day you said, I have an idea. This will be good. You didn't come up with that. If you had that thought in your heart, it's because God put it there in your heart. It comes as an act of grace from him and it's responded to by faith from us. And then what we find out is even that faith doesn't come from us. That's a gift from God too. It's him that does it. It's us that responds to it. He goes on in verse nine. He says, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. There is nothing about coming to Christ that has anything to do with any amount of your self-effort and works. And again, most Christians hearing this would say, amen, I'm going to check out and start thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. No, listen, I think as we move along today, you're going to say, oh, wow, that's awesome. And oh my, I didn't know that I was actually maybe missing the point. This is where I have walked. There's been some times that I would have said amen to this message. But as I've carefully considered the point and looked at my life, I recognize along the way, I was living more by my works than I realized. 
So today, I want us to go back uh, in time in the scripture, and let's lay a foundation here for the whole idea of salvation, the whole truth of salvation. In other words, what does it mean for a person to be right with God? Can they be? Can a person know for sure that they are saved? Can you say with 100% certainty that you are going to heaven? Is it possible to really know in this life without any doubt that your sins are forgiven and that when you die, you're going to stand before God, not with a pop quiz to see if you get in, but with an absolute certainty of, well done, my faithful servant, come on in. Yes is the answer. Many Christians, sadly, do not live with that confidence. They live with some uncertainty. They live with some not sure. They live with trying to do enough along the way, hoping that when they get there, that maybe, just maybe, if possibly, they might have done enough good things and God might have a little mercy on them that they might get into heaven. If that is what you believe, I'm gonna tell you up front, that is not the gospel. Because the gospel is good news, not maybe news, not possibly news, not mediocre news. It is the incredible, life-changing good news of Jesus that you can know with certainty in this life that you have been born again and will go to heaven forever to be with Jesus. That is good news. So let's start with some history here. If we go back to the law, this is where God lays out by his hand to Moses what it means to be right with God, for the way to be right. And what he describes in the law, in not just the Ten Commandments, but the some 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament, is a way of living. This was a way of life that he gave to his people that might separate them from all other nations. So that they might not look like everybody else. So that others would look and say, oh, this is what it looks like to know God and to walk in his ways. So there was, a, yes, a list of things to do as his followers. But also within that was a calling to not just some nice living, but perfection. This was the standard. If you were going to know God and walk in his ways, then it required absolute perfection. There was no um, gray area. It was all black and white. It was very clear what the law laid out. There were very exacting demands. And they were given so that man might see that we are not God. That we can't do this on our own. That we are absolutely dependent on him. And thus the law laid out absolute perfection. But the law laid out another thing. The law laid out the exacting punishment that would come if you did not keep the law. There were violations and there was a cost. And this punishment came. And God was very precise in what he required and what would happen if you didn't. Now so far, what you've got here, if we were to stop and not discuss anything else, you would have right here 
every religion on the planet. Every religion says, if you want to know the deity, here's what you must do. And just know there's going to be punishment if you don't do it. And when you get there, maybe, if you've done enough of this, you won't get as much of this, and you might get in. That is every religion on the planet, except for Christianity. Because, you see, what happened there in the law is that God didn't just describe perfection. He didn't just describe punishment, but God also laid out what would happen next. He made a way so that every person in their sin, in their inability to reach perfection, and in the need for punishment, God established a way through the tabernacle for their sin to be paid for, to be atoned. He set up the plans for the tabernacle and an altar. And on this altar, a spotless lamb was to be offered and offered up to the Lord as a sacrifice so that their sins could be atoned for by this lamb. And so God laid out the expectation, gave the punishment, but then made a way for their sins to be atoned for so that they would not trust in, I've got to be perfect, or trust in, I've got to punish myself enough, but they would find their hope and redemption in the sacrifice of another for them. And God was setting up another day to come when there would be a spotless lamb who would arrive on the scene, not one with four legs, but one with two. He would be God in the flesh. And John the Baptist would see him and know all of this and say, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And this was all a picture of Jesus. Now, this all makes sense to us today because we live on the other side of the cross. So we know what all this means. We get the picture here. The New Testament would say about the law, that the law was a, a shadow of good things to come. It was not the very image of the things. This is from Hebrews 10, by the way. And it could never with those same sacrifices which they offered continually year by year ever make those who approached perfect. Though they offered sacrifices every year for their sins, it could never by that sacrifice truly make them perfect, the Bible says. I love this next verse there in Hebrews 10. It says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered if there was one that could actually take it away, wouldn't they stop offering them at that point? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. Hebrews is saying, you know, wouldn't it be fascinating if there was one sacrifice that could have really taken away all their sins? If it did, they would have stopped offering them, and then their conscience would have been clear. They wouldn't have ever thought about their sins in the past anymore. They wouldn't have to keep up with them. They wouldn't have to keep a list. They wouldn't have to bring them to their worship space every time. They would know that they are free. Wouldn't that just be a fascinating possibility if that could happen? Hello, that is what happened. Jesus came and was the final sacrifice. 
so that you and I might come put our faith in him as the final sacrifice so that we don't have to come anymore to church thinking, oh my, I've got to come in this morning and somehow atone for my sin. I didn't bring a lamb this morning, but boy, I'll bring my hard work. Boy, I'll bring my sorrow. I'll bring my self-punishment and maybe, just maybe, God will accept me. That's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus died once for sinners so that you and I might be free from having to perfect ourselves or punish ourselves because he was our perfection. He took our punishment and then he gave us his perfection. That is the gospel. But many in the Old Testament couldn't see it. Many in the New Testament couldn't see it. Even when Jesus was standing right in front of them, the Pharisees were so fixated on this, I've got to keep doing enough. In fact, we're going to take the 600 plus commandments and we're going to add to it. We're going to make lots and lots of rules so that we can verify that we really are righteous enough. When that happened, they couldn't even recognize Jesus for who he was when they came because they were so wrapped up in themselves and what they could do and what they needed to do. Now, again, a lot of this we might look at and think, wow, I just can't believe they would do that. They were so weak. They had such little faith. Well, welcome to the they club because I'm afraid in our day, this is what us they do from time to time. I don't want to spell it out like this. There are those who teach and many who have believed that the way to be right with God is actually by making sure you do enough good work on this side of death. Make sure that you have amassed enough points that are good to somehow outweigh the bad. If that's the case, guess who the savior is in that scenario? You. And guess what? You don't have it. I don't care how many points you've earned. I don't care how many hours you've served. I don't care how many church services you've attended. I don't care how many prayers you've prayed. None of us rack up enough points to fit the perfection that's required by God to get into heaven. Your points won't do it. It was this very thing that drove Luther to say, salvation is by grace alone. It's only by an act of God. But people today still get caught up in this. And there's another modern term. Now, the Apostle Paul would say we're not saved by works. That's what this is. This is me trying to do enough. I'll just go ahead and get real pointed here. Every denomination has a variation of this. Baptists have a version of it that says, give, serve, attend church enough, you might get into heaven. Anybody heard that before? Methodists have a version of it that says, love your brother enough, give enough, do enough, you might get into heaven. Charismatics have a version of it. Assemblies have a version of it. It usually involves more uh, worship-related things. Do these things, have these experiences, and you might get into heaven. It might prove you have enough to get into heaven. Every denomination has them. So I'm not poking, poking other people's bear this morning. I'm poking the bear that's inside of us this morning to wake us up. Hello? Amen? So uh, it shows up as works, but it also shows up in another term that fits some New Testament folks, 
legalism. In other words, it's this idea of I will try to keep the law enough. I will try to do enough good things. I will build up enough points along the way to try to earn my spot in heaven. I'll try to gain my salvation by my efforts. And here's what it looks like. It looks like this. It looks like an attitude of must do better. It almost becomes robotic for the Christian believing this. Must do better. I have to do better. I just haven't done good enough. I seem to do better, even better. Better at being a husband. Better at being a wife. Better at being a worker. Better at serving. Better at praying. Better at giving. Better, 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 better. And they just live under better all the time. You know another way of saying better? Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. I need to do better. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's never enough. Not enough. I have to do more. If I live under the not enough, then guess what? It's all back on me. I have to do. I have to earn. I have to go. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. I have to do more. Do more. Do more. I'm not doing enough. If that is where you are, you have no peace with God. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Because when you put your head on your pillow at night, there is no peace with God. You're the one saying to yourself, I should have done better. I should have done more. And those who put their hope in doing enough, in legalism, they rarely have any kind of security in their salvation. They don't really know for sure if they're saved. If you ask them, they say things like, well, I'm trying. I'm just trying really hard. I'm really hoping, I mean, I'm really hoping I've done enough. I mean, we'll see when we get there to heaven one day. They're totally trusting in their own works. There's no security. They're not complete. They're not sure about their salvation. But Colossians tells us, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you who have believed are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. If you've put your faith in Jesus, it is finished. It is done. It has been paid for. You are free. The debt is gone. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to pay it off. You couldn't. Why are you trying? It's not about you. Stop letting it be about you because if it's all about you, if it's of works, then you'll end up boasting about yourself. You'll be going around talking about how much you do for the Lord, how much you serve, how much you give, how much you do. And you find that in some church circles. You find a spirit when you just walk into the church, you can tell there is a whole lot of pressure in this room. If you've ever been to some churches like that, you know what I'm talking about. There's this pressure to perform there's this pressure to do enough. There's this pressure to worship, to give, to serve, to, to know, and to act like you've got it all together because in your view of salvation, it's all about you. How could you dare let down that you don't have it together? That's not the gospel, folks. That's why we have Christians in churches who look absolutely miserable, who look like they've been sucking on a lemon all week long. They have no joy because they have no peace. They have no hope. They have no confidence. And so they live under this pressure. I've got to sound spiritual. I've got to never admit I've got a need. 
Sometimes you even hear it in a church service where someone will stand up and say, God is not moving here today because of somebody in the room's sin. I'd like to have that laid on you. But that's what happens in those environments because it's all about the work. I recognize sin blocks the presence of God. But sin in you does not block God's presence from me. Hello? And if I want to help somebody who's in their sin, I don't need to lay a mound of guilt on top of them. I need to point them to the Savior who will free them from their sin. Amen? This is what we do. The other part that this looks like then is you end up living a double life because how in the world can you keep up this standard? So what people do is they come into church and they act one way and they go out the door and they act another way because they think in here they've got to somehow earn the points and act righteous and be all cool spiritually. But they walk out there knowing they can't live it and so they just live a completely counter life out there. They also end up highly critical of themselves and other people because they conclude in their mind, well, if I got to keep the rules, I'm going to make sure everybody else does too. And they go around pointing out everybody else's flaws, pointing out what everybody else ought to be doing. If someone you know does that, I promise you when they put their head on the pillow at night, that's what they're doing to themselves. They have no peace with God. And finally, they are absolutely worn out. If you're trying to live on the treadmill of legalism, you are dead tired in your spirit. You have no peace. You come into a church service like, when is this going to be over? This is just a beating. Because it's all about what you have been able to do or not do. And Jesus came to set the captives free from this. The sad thing is when you are wrapped up in this, it blinds you to the reality of the cross. It blinded the Pharisees. And it will blind people today because they're so wrapped up in having to do better, do more, try to earn, try to prove, try to somehow get God's attention that they think that's going to get them life. But the last thing they want to do is be around spiritual things because they're so much trying to get there on their own. And it just was heartbreaking to Jesus. It's heartbreaking to watch today. My point in, our, in my message today is to help us get to the place where if you've been living in this, and trust me, I have lived this. I know what happens. I know the anxiety that comes. I know the fear that comes that shows up in every other area of life because at the core of what I believed, I thought it was all on me, that I had to get up early enough, read enough, do enough, go enough, serve enough, repeat cycle, that will bust your brain. It will break your heart. And Jesus said, I have come to set the captive free. The other side, though, is just as real. There are those who try to live perfecting themselves enough. But then there are those who live trying to punish themselves enough. They're often similar, but they're just a little bit different. 
And there's actually a new word that has appeared recently to help better put a handle on this because this is, this is where some Christians walk too. Some Christians, after they've come to Christ, still live in this mode of trying to punish themselves enough for their sins. They think they have to be miserable enough, pitiful enough. And there's a modern word that is fascinating that's relatively, it's, it's new to me within this past year. And it is the word scrupulosity. Fascinating word. And it means to be so introspective about yourself that you come to negative conclusions about everything. You are weighed down with guilt and shame and this sense of punishment. Now, here's what's tricky about this. This Christian actually lives for guilt. I think, that's crazy. I agree. I understand it because I have walked in some of this too, where you are so convinced that this is actually God's voice that you live for it. You think, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to tell myself, Excuse me. I'm supposed to tell myself how miserable I am. I'm supposed to tell myself what a sinner I am. I'm supposed to beat myself up about what I did. I'm supposed to replay everything I've done. Moms, you'll recognize this. There's a thing today called mom guilt. Hello? Every mom in the room know that? Yeah, it's okay to nod your head. It's good. So here's the deal. With mom guilt, a mom puts her head on her pillow at night and she starts replaying everything that she did all day long. And what she comes up with is, I didn't say this nicely, I didn't do this right, I should have said this, I should have done this, and the whole thing is a replay of the day based on guilt. You don't go to bed with sweet dreams after that. You go to bed with a crushing headache because all you have concluded is what a miserable failure you are and hopefully get up tomorrow and do better. That also often happens for Christians they live with believer guilt. They come into a church service and think this is what I'm supposed to do, is to continually beat myself up, to punish myself, to limit myself from ever being happy, don't ever have joy, you can't have peace, you need to punish yourself more. And when you get into this mindset, you start seeing everything as a punishment. You say, well, I guess I need to read my Bible. I guess I need to pray. I guess I need to go to church. Because those things become your way to punish yourself. And people pray excessively. They worship excessively. They read their Bible excessively, not out of delight, but out of punishment. And there's no joy in that. And I will say again, that is not the gospel. They also live with a, a spiritual OCD. They are so obsessive, thank you very much, obsessive about their perfection, obsessive about everything, their failures, that they can't let anything go. You might ever watch the TV show Monk? Nope, just a few of you. Monk was a detective show that was about in the early 2000s. You can still find it online in some places. And Monk had, 
an OCD situation. And so every time he walked into a room, everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be, you know, facing the same way. If he walked by, you know, something, he had to just, he had to touch it. He had all these little idiosyncrasies that were interesting. It made him a good detective for a TV show. But this does not work out real well if you are a Christian because you become obsessive about everything. Did I pray right? Did I do that right? Did I sing that song right? Did I say that right to them? Oh my goodness, I better go back and pray one more time, see if I can do it right this time. I need to go back and witness to this person, and maybe I'll do it right this time. I need to read my Bible again to see if I can do it right this time. They have no peace with God. They are incessant upon punishing themselves, and they live, I'm gonna run out of space down here, I can tell. They live with a, what if I, what if I sinned when I said that? What if I did this and I didn't realize it? What if there's something buried deep in my heart and I don't know it? What if, what if, what if, what if I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and what if I'm even going to hell? I probably deserve to go to hell because I'm even thinking that. Do you see what happens when it all becomes about you punishing yourself? For them, I'm out of space. Worship is sad, it's difficult, it's painful, it's hard. You see it on their face and they can't get through it because they can't see what Christ has done. And finally, they live enslaved. They find it very hard to get past any of this because they have to keep punishing themselves. And they have to keep perfecting themselves. And they both are missing out on Jesus who took our punishment and gave us his perfection. This is what it actually looks like now. So that instead of punishment, God gives grace. And he says the response to that is not by you trying to be perfect enough to earn it, but to receive it by faith. So that in the end, what you end up with is freedom at the cross. This is what we are called to. Martin Luther, who was the great kickstart to the Protestant Reformation, still struggle with this much of his life and would beat himself up, himself up because of his sin sometimes and get into, mm, warm water, thank you, get into, some, <laughs> get into some dark places sometimes. And his wife was very wise. One time he was, he'd gone away on a, on a trip to try to get his mind all in a better place and he came back home and he still wasn't in a good place. And he came home and his wife, who was very wise, was sitting there in the living room. She was dressed completely in black. She had the children gathered around and they were all dressed in black. Martin Luther walked in and said, what happened? Did someone die? And his wife said, haven't you heard, dear? God died. He said, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? And she said, well, that's how you act. So we thought we'd just join you in it. Smart woman. 
so many Christians today live their life as though this never happened. They live trying to perfect themselves and they live trying to punish themselves. Now, I want to invite um, one of our own here to the stage this morning because I want you to hear a firsthand story of some of this. So if we can have our stools come up and let me invite Mallory Mormon to the stage this morning. Y'all give Mallory a hand. Hey, how are you? You good? Yeah, have a seat in one of those. I'm gonna get one of these microphones down here and uh, get you one of those. So um, Mallory has a story of um, walking through some of this, right? Yeah. Identify with this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've talked a couple of times already with some of this, and uh, I wanted you to hear her story. So, Mallory, um, you grow up in church. What's some of those experiences like? I grew up in church my whole life. Um, Got saved when I was, or asked Jesus into my heart when I was five. Um, Got baptized when I was five. It was very much every time the door was open, we were in church. Okay. and then, um, uh, do you want me to just go right? Yeah, keep okay. going. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, I grew up in church um, all my life, and it was just um, where I just never knew if, even though, like, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five, I always, like, would pray, Jesus, please don't come back until I get married, or please don't come back until I have kids, or, and then I would go to bed even, like, praying, like, Jesus, if I, if I, like, I just, I was always just f- afraid to, like, lay my head down and just be, I was always, like, just deathly afraid of <laughs> dying in my sleep at a young age and, and not going to heaven. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's a real thing in certain denominational groups and churches. They teach a a different version of salvation that doesn't leave you with security. Instead, it leaves you with question. And it's really all on you to make sure that you have not sinned and not repented of that sin. Because if you have some sin that you haven't repented of, you could actually die and go to hell. That is taught in some churches. And what that leaves people with is this. Never having peace when they put their head on their, their head on their pillow at night that I know for sure if I died, I would wake up in heaven with Jesus, right? So that's yeah. where you live, not just as a child, but it goes on up into your oh, yeah. latter years. So, um, and then it was just, I, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah, sure. <laughs> of, but more on the perfection side of trying to um, be this perfect Christian of... Um, and when I'm in service, making sure that I'm down at the altar and and people are seeing me, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's so silly to say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but when you are in it, you just you just think that that's just what you have to do. You have to have this amazing worship experience, and then in worship, also like check doing a checklist of your week yeah. of well, was I a good daughter? Was I a good uh, uh, person? Was yeah. I a good friend? Was, did I do my homework? Did I do all this? And, and that checklist of doing that every time I came into a service, 
um, got into even my adult life of wow. like even coming into service and just being like, was I a good wife today? Was I a good mother today? Um, just going down the list in my head. And if I didn't check those boxes, then I kind of just felt like I wasn't worthy enough to worship yeah. <clears throat> or even really be a Christian Wow! <laughs> because just, I was just always trying to be this person. And if, and then if I wasn't doing enough serving in the church, um, I felt like I wasn't worthy either. Just wow. like, just, no, I wasn't serving in, yeah. if I wasn't in the kids church or if I wasn't serving in the youth or if I wasn't serving in the nursery or anything, like I just had to be doing because that was my, uh, that was your identity. That was, that yeah. was my uh, makeup for it and making sure that everything was good and wow. that I'm good and yeah. my life is good. Do you hear this? This is within the church. She's coming in and worship is happening and she's replaying a checklist trying to see if she is enough for God to speak or bless her. Instead of focusing on Christ is the one who's enough for me. Christ is the one who paid for my sin. I am free. I don't have to keep uh, doing the rewind button over my sins and over my week. I walk in the freedom of knowing my sin has been paid for in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, so I, when she told me that, I just, oh, my heart just broke. I, I've walked in some of that. Just You live in such a perpetual state of guilt that you, you think that's actually the right thing to do. That's what's so deceiving about all this. Is yeah, it, you think that that's God. Yeah. I mean, even when me and my husband uh, first got married, we would be in service, and if we got in an argument like the night before or whatever, I would literally like turn to him and be like, I'm so sorry for saying this and everything because I felt like that guilt on me during worship. I felt like I wasn't able to move forward until I apologized to him or apologized to somebody in, like, that, I, that I had hard, bitter feelings towards. Yeah. So it, that was just yeah. years and years and years and years and years of that. Yeah. Now, it's, it's right. If God convicts you of something to, to repent of that, that's right. We don't ignore that. But to, to live in this perpetual fear and pressure in a worship service, especially any time, that it's all on me. I've got to complete the checklist or, or I can't be blessed by God, spoken to by God, loved or even forgiven, or even have his favor or salvation. And that's kind of what it was for you. Yeah. And then I definitely lived this double life for a while in my teen years and just was at service and I was on the worship team for our uh, youth group and I was very much involved in, and I was, then I was going out and I was uh, trying to find, I was, I didn't feel like I was finding that love. I was always having to, I was worn out, yeah. <laughs> always having to find that, um, acceptance and, uh, love that I was trying to search for. So then I just started searching it in other places yeah. and yeah. If we had more time, she would tell you, uh, and I'm probably on her own. If you wouldn't ask her, she would tell you about some of this chapter in her life because she went down some very dark paths ended up in some very painful places looking for identity, purpose, and peace, and love because you didn't feel like you had it really 
in Christ or in God at all. And yeah. church wasn't helping with that. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's fast forward the story a little bit because um, let's fast forward to COVID time period. Uh, you're working with Taylor, our daughter, at um, uh, a PDO nearby, parent day out. And, and you ask Taylor, hey, do y'all's church require masks? And she says, no. And she says, great, we're coming. So, there Sunday. <laughs> so they show up here at Vertical and uh, talk about a little bit of the difference. This is not to pump up Vertical, but to, to reveal what God has done in your heart since being here. Yeah, it was kind of a bit of a culture shock, to be honest with you. Um, just what I grew up in and um, and... And then coming here, it was just, it was just real. It wasn't like y'all were putting on a show or that this was, you know, like, and you spoke from, the, <clears throat> excuse me, you spoke from the word and it was just, it was just very much what, what we were looking for. And, and then everybody is so, they make you feel like you're at home here. So um, it just was very much different than what I grew up, what we grew up in. Yeah. So Mallory came to me some weeks ago and said um, some of this to me and more of the story. And she said, it's just, it's a new thing all of a sudden for me to see God in this way. It's like I've never seen God in this way, to know that he loves me, he accepts me, he receives me, he's forgiven me, and he's not holding out a checklist for me waiting for me to accomplish it all. And I don't have to perfect myself before I come. I don't have to punish myself before I come. So that day, Mallory said, I really, I want to be baptized because of the new thing that God has done in my life. So in our second service, Mallory's going to be baptized. I'm excited about that, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, this is all about identifying with Jesus. What does this mean to you personally to be baptized today? Because it's not the first time. This is my third time. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, it's just real. And I just feel like that, that constant, just constant guilt and just constant, like, um, having to do more or be yeah. more or um, um, be this person one day and then be a different person another day. It, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just so much more freeing and yeah. knowing that this is, this, yeah. Yeah. It's just so freeing. <laughs> and Mallory and her husband were actually involved in ministry for a while. Alan was involved in ministry and they traveled together and he just, I just tried to imagine, of course, I, I walked in some of this, so I know some of it, just when you're, you labor under this thing of, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, and, and it, the walk of faith becomes a beating more than a joy and a delight. So I thought her story fits so well with what we're talking about here this morning, that salvation is not by my efforts, my works, me perfecting myself. It's not by me punishing myself enough. It's by the death of Jesus for me. 
So I want to conclude with a, a couple of verses here, and Mallory, stay here for just a moment. Um, let's look at uh, what, what Paul said in Galatians. I read these to you earlier, but I want to read it one more time before I see it on screen. In Galatians 5, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Stand in that. Don't leave that. Don't go back. Much of the New Testament is written to people who got saved, met Jesus, but then they went back to trying to perfect themselves, trying to keep the law enough. Don't go back. Don't go back into that. That is actually in the New Testament where in Galatians it says, if you go back into trying to do enough works, you have fallen from the grace that's in Jesus Christ. If you're trying to prove your worth by you, you're walking away from the very grace that's been poured out to us and the faith that we're invited to. Stand in this and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't put that back on. Let's wear our freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen? What a, what a significant, powerful truth in our day when truth seems to be just eroding off the scene. It's moving away in our culture and churches are letting go of foundational doctrinal truth. Truth by scripture alone and grace by faith alone, nothing else. So I'd like to ask you to bow your heads uh, for just a moment um, as we pray. And maybe this is your moment to say, God, I have fallen away from the very grace that you gave me. I've tried to perfect myself enough. I've tried to punish myself enough. And today I return to the cross and the resurrection that frees me. Father, I thank you that you have invited us to freedom, to joy, to peace. I know the enemy does not want us to hear that joy and peace and freedom and forgiveness, but I bind him from this room today that we might hear the truth that's in your word, God, that we might truly walk in a liberty, in a freedom of knowing our sins have been once and for all forgiven. They're no longer held against us. They will not be replayed in heaven someday against us. They are no longer held against us. In fact, God, you are so passionate about this that you have called us now blameless. You've given us the title of righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you have done for us. And I pray that we, your people, would stand in this and believe that there's salvation in no other name and no other way but by grace through faith alone. I thank you for Mallory. I thank you for what you're doing in her life, for the freedom you're showing her. I pray for that to increase. I pray for that to increase amongst us as we glorify you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's give Mallory a hand this morning for her courage. Yeah, thank you. In the second service, she will be baptized, and you can go online and check that out. I'm grateful for that. So, uh, why don't you stand with me? We'll be dismissed this morning. We're going to live him out, live him, lift him up and live him out, right? We're going to lift up this grace and live it by faith because this is who we are as the people of God. Let's do this. Lift him up and... <laughs>